I'll just never forget the first thing my mother said to me. She said to me, Liza, yeah. call an ambulance. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. I started recording wow. in the middle of that. Wow. That's I'm awesome. I'm sorry, what'd you say, Josh? I said that's I started recorded. recording in the middle of that's that. That's recorded. I had to have that for posterity. So. Yeah, that's it's, awesome. It's terrific. It's just terrific. I, just, I love him so much. I was making lasagna. <laughs> Um, on the cooking machine. What is that called again? I, I can't remember. Um, I guess maybe we should do, I, I guess it's probably easier if I just do the introduction and that way we sort of have that's fine. thing and I know. That's fine. Then we can, yeah, we'll just no, that's what I was going to say. Like I know you have a rhythm to it, John. And, and yeah, and I don't want to get in the in the way of the rhythm. So like you do, you just tell me how we're doing it. I'm here to, I'm here to serve. Uh, okay. You guys can Lies start whenever. They, we are rolling already. So you can start. All okay. right. Welcome to John's Comic Corner, everybody. I am John, and Comic Corner is when uh, we recommend a book, and a very special guest reads the book, and then we sit around, talk about it, what I got right, what I got wrong, and whether or not they liked it. However, today, we are doing a little role reversal. I think that's what it's called in the actor's yeah, world. Yeah, it is. Reversal. Yeah, it is. Yeah, baby. Um, and so our very special guest star, director, showrunner, Rock on tour. Kelly Johnston is here. Snaps oh for you, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Um, and this time, Kelly recommended a book for me to read. That's right. That's to throw right. a little wrench in the works. Um, I almost so, said to throw a wench in the works, and I was like, "That's a wench in the works." So, so technically, you are the special guest star. John, I guess you, so. You are the special guest star of John's Comic Corner. That is fantastic. I so, guess so. So how would you like to approach, like what it typically when we do these, you usually ask the person their relationship to comics, which in your case uh, is of course a little reductive because we all know that you have an extensive relationship to comics. So, so let's um, start out with your relationship with oh, comics. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, my, when I started reading comics, uh, my father was, my father was a veterinarian and I, I spent a lot of time after school at his office sort of hanging out and I was too young to work. Um, I like would go back and look at the, you know, see the animals and everything, but I couldn't, I couldn't do stuff practically. Not You not couldn't legally. assist with the surgery? I, not really, no. Um, I, although I was allowed to wander through and watch and that was always fascinating. Um, but he had a little sort of side room that they'd set aside for me, and it had some comics in it that, that that weren't originally mine, but they were just comics. And there was, I remember, like a Thor number, I mean, early Thor, like it was like number 24 or something, like, you know, mm -hmm. old, old for then, you know. Um, and it was him up against Loki. I remember that. And I read that thing. I like I I wasn't so enamored that I remember the details of it, but I remember I I knew it like backwards and forwards at the time. Like if I ran across it today, I would know it. And then, and then you know, growing up like the kind of trash comics that that if you're a kid in suburbia that you read. So like I read Richie Rich and I read uh, that you know like Archie and and sort of that kind of guff. And it wasn't until I was in my um, teens that I. Uh, came across the X-Men and I actually came across X-Men right at the end of Burns run at the beginning of Claremont's run. So like what well, I, Claremont what and I, Byrne did it together. Well, I, I mean, but Byrne got off the book and Claremont continued, right? Like, yes. like I'm that, that was right after or right before uh, uh, the dark, dark Phoenix saga. Okay. So it would have probably been one forty. Yeah. 144 with Uncanny X Men 144 was Burns' last pencil. That, that was his last. That was his last comic. 143. I came in, I'm sorry. I I came in right after. What I remember is I came in right after Dark Phoenix because I didn't buy the Dark Phoenix run 
uh, firsthand, but a friend of mine who collected comics basically was gave me the entire stack. So I had the run of, of Dark Phoenix, like an in individual form, but I had come in after that and it was, but it was right after, and it was, um, it was actually, uh, just after the, um, the double sized issue that introduced the new X-Men. So the, the introduction of Wolverine and Nightcrawler and Colossus and Storm and, um, and when they go up against the brood and about the same time that Claremont, uh, did the Wolverine miniseries run and it was off to the races. Like I, I, I was totally into the X-Men. I was totally into that, that world. Although I, I also started collecting Dr. Strange. Um, mm -hmm. and that was, that was actually, that was actually a really good period for Dr. Strange. Dr. Strange, they, I, I don't feel like they have ever really had as good a run as they were having in like the eighties for Dr. Strange where they, he was on earth and Cleo had come from the dark dimension to, to like be his mentor, but also his, his paramour. Um, and they didn't have a lot of the complicated side stuff yet. It, it just was straightforward. It was kind of villain of the week kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I collected Dr. Strange. I collected a little fantastic four. Um, actually some of Burns run on fantastic burn was everywhere back then. Like he jumped from, Fantastic Four. Then he was in Superman for a little while, and then, I mean, like, remember when he was like a big deal, and then he just disappeared off the face of the earth. Well, he did Superman after Crisis on Infinite Earths, <clears throat> so he relaunched that. Superman. And I think, um, but then that was like that's like the last big thing he did, right? Am I or am I wrong? He's done a bunch of indie stuff. He does a book. Is that, he did a book okay. for a very long time called Next Men. Oh, right. I remember Next Men. I remember. Yeah. I didn't collect it, but I remember seeing it. That's right. John Burns Next Men. That's right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, like in the 80s is when I got into it, John. And then at, I remember actually when I uh, graduated undergrad, uh, I went to the, I went to Houston, Texas. I was working at the Alley Theater and one of the actors, uh, on the show that we're working on read uh, Paul Chadwick's concrete, mm -hmm. which I'd never heard of. Like, I didn't know what the hell that was. And he was like, check this out. And he had me check out, um, he had me check out mage and concrete. And so he sort of introduced me to like, sort of what I think of as the real indie scene of, of, of comics at that time where I was like, Oh, there's this whole other world where there aren't, you know, it's not the the superpowers that you know out of DC or Marvel. There, there are these interesting stories, and like, and Concrete to me was by far one of the most interesting stories because it was, first of all, so well drawn, and secondly, just a guy got kidnapped by aliens and put in this big weird concrete body, and then they took off, and now he's stuck in it, and this is his life. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's that's it. Like, that's the entire conceit of it. But, but the, just the humanity of it, and the fact that he was felt so out of place and isolated. Uh, you know, I could, I could really resonate with. So, um, and at that point I was just a, a comic fan. It, like if it was good, I would read it. Um, and, uh, and to, to bring us to this, I discovered uncle Sam, which is what we are going to be discussing today. Um, which is what I'd asked you to read. Uh, uncle Sam here for the camera. So just for, for everybody else, no one is going to see it, but for our edification, um, yes. I uh, have, Uncle Sam, we should say, written by Steve Brunel, correct, uh, and, plotted and illustrated by Alex Ross. By Alex Ross, correct. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because it was released in '97 and as a two-parter, and I didn't discover it until the early aughts. And the only reason I discovered it is because I had discovered Alex Ross's art. Um, I first saw it on Marvels, which which I don't know what his first thing was, but I know that. That that's the first thing I remember seeing, and I was blown away because I had never seen super super superhero comic art that looked so photorealistic. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I discovered his art, and then I discovered first Kingdom Come, which knocked my socks off. Like I liked, mm -hmm. I was really entranced by that. And then I came across this obscure this obscure graphic novel, Uncle Sam. And it was clearly illustrated by Alex Ross. And I'd learned to check at that point because Ross was doing the covers of stuff, but not the interior art. So yes. I would like, I would grab a comic and then get home and discover that only the cover was by Alex Ross and be 
bitterly disappointed. So I'd learned to like crack it open and just make sure. And so this was him. And so I bought it, not even knowing what the story was going to be. Just, just grabbed it because I love his artwork. And, and for anybody that's listening, if you don't know who Alex Ross is, or if you have never seen Alex Ross's art, go Google it right now and take a look and you will understand what I mean by it is clearly, you know, painted, but it is photorealistic. He, he represents everything he draws as if it was grounded in the same reality that, that we ourselves live in. And, and to me, that's a really special, that's a special look because it, it bridges, it bridges worlds a little cleaner mm-hmm. for me personally. I think it, it becomes less of a, of an escapism and more of something that is much more closer to what I'm connected to. So, um, so yeah. Uh, what did you think, John? Tell me like, like now I've, I've explained my relationship to comics, but now that we've moved into the topical matter, you're the one that read it for the first time on my recommendation. Well, I think so. probably what we should do is do a little, um, plot summary. Plot, first. Okay. That seems so fair. spoiler, spoiler alerts are in full effect. Mm. Um, yeah, especially because this one's not the most straightforward of storylines. It is not. It is uh, the spirit of Uncle Sam um, kind of going through, well, in contemporary America, but kind of yep. going back through history. Well, we um, encounter- and this would have been, you said, 97? It came out in 97. So that um, would have been... Clinton's first term? Yeah. Mm, hang on. Clinton's second term. Second term. It's Clinton's second term. Yeah. Um, so um, that is where we are. And the, the first issue kind of deals with him um, sort of not knowing where he is, not knowing who he is. Um, kind of falling back and forth through time um, and uh, sort of looking at, um, I guess, what America has become and what America aspired to be um, and ends at a political campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, there is not a straightforward linear plot with this. So I think we I mean, should just. Let I mean, there is there there is and there's not like to 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 further clarify, um, since spoilers are are, are are okay. The character you meet, Sam, is you meet him in the emergency room of a major, you know, urban hospital. They, I don't think they say specifically what city. I, I don't. I don't know. And in fact, he moves not just through time, but through geographical locations as well. Um, and he is dressed, he's an old man and he is dressed as uncle Sam and he seems like a raving lunatic. And at first you cannot tell if this is, you, you, you honestly can't really tell what's going on. Like this, it just seems like this is a crazy man. And then what, what, as John said, what happens is he begins traveling backwards and forwards in time to moments in American history, some of which are him being personally involved and several of which are him being a witness to or experiencing events through other people's eyes, etc. And he, and as John said, he can't figure out who he is or where he is or, or what the hell is going on, but he keeps encountering one character, a woman named B who he recognizes, but he doesn't know how he knows her, but he knows that he's connected to her in some way. Um, and in fact, he uh, sees her in the first issue, he sees her three different times in three different settings. Um, once in revolutionary times, once as the shopkeeper of a sort of antiques and um, odd goods store. And then one more time, what is it as? Um, Those are the only two times I remember her in that first issue. It may be, it may be only two. Oh, no. Third time is uh, she's in Oklahoma. She's in the Oklahoma Badlands. She oh, the, to him right, she, yes, during the, the Dust, Dust Bowl. Bowl. 
Yeah. So yeah, that's right. I, that's what I thought. So she appears three different times in three very distinct locations in American history. Um, so yeah, sorry, John, just to, just to build off of that. And then, um, second issue. Um, well, let's talk about, let, let's, I think maybe we should probably talk a little bit about, um, I think maybe we should talk a little bit about sort of overall impressions and kind of sure. go from there. Do it. Um, because uh, this is going to end up in a political discussion, no matter where we sort of end it. There's no matter it, where we sort of. It, it, it is. A, it is. It is easily one of the most political car comics I have ever read or ever experienced. So yes, it would inevitably mm -hmm. lead to a political conversation. Um. So, okay. I believe I texted you when I finished the first issue with something to the extent of I'm so angry. <laughs> uh, actually. Um, and it's um, not. Let me hang on. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to quote it directly. Let me find it. Where are you? Read the first issue of Uncle Sam and am now wildly angry and disappointed in society. That okay, is, that is what you. That is what you. So, um, and I, it's it's a. So the first thing I should say is it's a wonderful book. It 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 doesn't really take a political side. It does, but it doesn't because it, it's kind of an indict. It's kind of an indictment of American history in general. Yeah, not in a bad way. Not not in a I hate America way. In no. a way of let's stop for a second and really kind of look at everything. And the reason I think I got so angry is I, um, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm a big history buff, but I certainly read a fair amount of history and was reading a fair amount of history for um, for uh, the new scripts for the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I was reading sort of very specific eras in history. And so all of that sort of anger was kind of, in one particular era. Um, this, to just sort of see it spread out, um, it it's really overwhelming. It, 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 is, it is interesting because I, I thank you. First of all, um, one of the things I did in, in prepping for this tonight, John, because normally you run and I was like, I didn't know how much I did or didn't have to, to know. So I went looking through reviews about Uncle Sam. And what I thought was interesting is, you know, most people, as you say, think it's a wonderful book. I certainly do. But then, you know, there was one person that, that like took it to task for being such a liberal leaning book and this, you know, criticizing America and blah, 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 blah. And, and I, and I appreciate your, your summation of it is, it isn't so much that it picks a political side is it is a critical view of American history where we are not always America is not always the good guys. And it, it's it's and it it focuses on many of the instances where either as a as a full country, like the government of it failed or where we as a populace failed. Right. And. And clearly, uh, Darnell, the Steve Darnell, the writer, if he didn't read Howard Zinn's uh, A People's History of the United States, I would be stunned if he hadn't read that. Because I actually discovered that. Are you familiar with it at all, John? Yeah. People's History? Yeah. I, I discovered it in high school. And I was actually really angry when I discovered it because I felt like these facts should have been included in the curriculum. I have no problem learning that, that the discovery and that's debatable in and of itself, but that Columbus discovering America in 1492, you know, the rhyme uh, uh, in 1492, Columbus sailed over ocean, ocean blue. blue. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And learn that it's the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria, blah, blah, blah. It's fine. I also think it would have been important to include that when he landed on the Island of Hispanola, there were something like 80,000 native, no, 30,000 natives on the island. And 10 years later, every single one of them had been killed. Every yeah. single well, one. Well, actually, there's a book that you may want to read. Um, and I want to say it's by um, 
Oh God, it's Richard something. No, I lied. It's Charles Mann who wrote a book called. <laughs> I know. Richard something. I mean Charles Mann. It, yeah, it's, um, it's yeah. called 1491, and it's actually about the Americas before Europeans landed. Uh, there oh. were actually cities in North America that were larger than London. Oh, I believe it. And, oh, I believe it. And more populous. So anyway, but yeah. that, that's so oh. so yeah so. But the point being that for me, the Howard Zinn book was eye opening because because that's just the that's the first chapter, and then you go through American history and you get like a different view of history. Or as Zinn is clear to point out, this is the version of history that this is the losers' version of history. We've only ever been taught the winners' version. We've been taught the official version of U.S. history, and then there's a, there are these other sides that are never represented that are equally true, and it and this book brings that to the forefront, right? Like it, it, it forces us to look at the, the breadth of, of ways and, and, and times that, that the spirit of America has failed in one way or another, which, which is a hard thing to read. Like it's not like it's, it's now at the same time, I should point out, they aren't all horrible. Like there are, there are moments of redemption that, that come in this, but it, it, it's a real startling, it's a real startling experience. I agree with you, John. Like I can see, like when you, when you sent that text, I actually laughed out loud because I'm like, well, that's, yeah, that's about right. That's, that's about how you should feel. Well, there's a couple of things that I, I find fascinating. I mean, first of all, I, I can't remember where I read it, but you know, there's that very famous quote, history belongs to the winners, um, right. which is, right. you know, you only get, you know, History's it's why for, you know, thousands and thousands of years, everybody thinks, you know, everybody thinks that Cleopatra was this conniving sexual being when in actually, in actuality, she spoke seven languages. Her, during her reign, um, her people, you know, the, the Egyptian people were well fed. Um, it was a, yep. a really quite a time of, of great prosperity. She set up museums, she set up libraries, you know, but alas, I digress. What I do think that this book does and I yeah. feel like I may have talked about this on a comics corner at some point or another um, or maybe it was just in a conversation with Josh um, but um, what it does do is it it allows us to look at the roots of where we are now yep. when we it is much easier easier for us to look at political and social issues through a lens of history. It's much easier for us to look at something like Selma or even look at something like when they see us and go, oh, well, that was then, we're better now. And it's like, we're really not. We're, we're different, but we're not necessarily better. Better, yeah. Um, you know, and I, um, so I, I mean, history in general, makes it easier for us to sort of see the um, the f faults, the flaws, without sort of taking it upon ourselves. Um, to your point, I think, um, and this is going really political, um, which I don't normally like to do. Um, I believe well, my I try to keep most of my political thoughts to myself, but sure. um, I think the I think the issue is that everything that happens in part one of this, especially, we've never talked about because it's so complicated and so complex and so um, nuanced in many ways um, that we either tend, we either oversimplify it by saying our forefathers wanted to escape political and religious persecution and that's why they came here and formed the greatest country in the world. And we gloss over, you know, the, <laughs> we gloss over the extermination of in, entire um, tribes of people. Yeah. Um, or we say, the Europeans were awful and they killed everybody when they came here. 
and gloss over the fact that they came here with the aspiration of building a country where people could live free and feel safe to speak their minds. Yeah. Neither one of those sentences is wrong, but it's very difficult well, for us to let them to coexist. Let them coexist. And and that's and, just it, is that is that history is complicated. History has always been complicated, but we tend to streamline it down to very easily digestible points. Um, and, and, and everything is clear in hindsight, right? I mean, you know, right. when you can look back on events and say, oh, this is how they got there. It's so obvious now. But as you said, John, when you're in the moment, when, 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 when you're in the middle of it, you can't see all these signposts that are very clear after the fact, right? Well, um, I mean, there's a, yes. I mean, first of all, we live in a, we, we as a society, I don't live in Europe, obviously, so I don't know what their reaction is to this, but we live in a world that likes things to be very binary. They're this or they're that. It's good or it's bad. Yeah, you know all of this. Certainly, that's good. a that's an, a very American. I think I think it's safe to say that culturally, that our bias is the U.S. And so, like that is a very American bias that things are binary. I don't right. like. I'm to your point, like because in Europe, I that's I think it's generally true, but then there are pockets where that's very not true. So it kind of yeah. depends. But and, and I think the second thing that goes with that is any conversation about what America has done. They're very, it's, I, I'm trying to be like, I'm trying to super walk the line here. Yeah, um, go ahead. You're doing great. Um, you know, conversations about race relations, about what Europeans did to, what Americans did to Native Americans about women's rights, about African-American rights, about the queer community. These conversations to have with people are messy and awkward yep. and uncomfortable yep. and imperfect. Yep. And nobody wants to go, oh, I screwed that up. I, I didn't think that through. Um, I remember, I'm sorry, one more thing and then I'll- Yeah, I'll, no, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I was watching. Um, I was watching a John Oliver piece. It was, I think, it was his last or his second to last one before the end of his season. And he had a clip from a, a PTA or a school board meeting. I think it was in Texas, and there was this gentleman, white gentleman, and he said. You know, I just don't see why we have to teach all the bad stuff because the the best, the worst day in America is better than the best day somewhere else. I, you, you want to believe that this is America. You have every right to believe that what you want to believe, but just because you don't teach about uh, Jim Crow laws and segregation doesn't mean that it didn't happen and it doesn't mean that the pain of someone else doesn't exist and it's kind yeah. of like we would never ever as americans say you know what germany i don't think you guys need to teach anything about fascism or world war ii i mean like, we would never although, say that that would never although, be well, acceptable it would not although to be fair german germans are a little light on their history from 38 to 45 they don't focus on it a whole lot. Actually, that may not be anymore because I, I actually looked at, looked up a video about German teachers teaching that. And okay. All right. Um, and I could be wrong. It maybe it was an old video, but I'm sorry, Josh, you said something? Oh, sorry. I said can confirm from a couple firsthand friends who they hammer it pretty hard in education. Back, in the, back in the the 80s, I was in an exchange program and back in the 80s, they they did not they it's not that they ignored it, it it's just that they they went through it relatively fast in the same way that i would say that we went through the civil war in the south pretty fast 
Like yeah, just, well, I think like also probably, the, you know, I, I'm sure um, because it's been rising for years, the rise of far right nationalism right. in Europe. And I'm sure Germany of all places is like, what could go wrong? Oh, yeah, maybe we should start <laughs> teaching this. They don't need to know. What's the likelihood it could happen again? Yeah. Um, so, so yes, I will. I would say that this. I, I would say that this book will probably um, anger you, no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on. You're either going to think it's leftist, or you're going to think that it's, you know, oh, this is, you know, this is. Um, why are we teaching this? This is not what America is. Um, and what I, I find fascinating is the disconnect that we often have between what America is and what America aspires to be. Well, it's not just America we, we do that with, though, is it? I mean, yeah, uh, first of all, I want to say, say that, that 100% I agree with you. But beyond that, it is an interesting fact that uh, I, I, using no names, someone that I am close to when Michael Jackson died, said, now, now watch, everybody's going to make a saint out of him. And they did. Like, Michael Jackson is dead now, and so nobody wants to say anything. You know, all of a sudden, the whole pedophilia thing sort of fades back into the background. And the fact that he died of a drug overdose, and I'm not, I'm not saying it makes him good or bad, but like, they're ignominious, you know, like, not the best circumstances, and that fades into the background. And I, I'm always fascinated by the dichotomy of, he was a brilliant performer. He was an amazing dancer. He certainly was a hell of a singer. Um, and he had these other fucked up things about him as well. They lived, they, they were, they were simultaneous. There was not one or the other. Roman Polanski made hell of a movies and he was a rapist. Mm -hmm. I, 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 that's a very hard thing to get one's mind wrapped around because I think, and I mean, I traced this back even before the founding of America. Um, this, I think, is just a function of storytelling and the way we process that as human beings. We need monsters to be complete monsters. They can't be like us. If they are too like us, then they can't be the monster. So, you know, when you when you think about like old school stories, I'm thinking like uh, Grimm's fairy tales or like tales out of... Um, uh, tales that, that come out of like Northern Africa... Um, mm -hmm. And even like mid continent, et cetera, the, the monster and even, you know, even ancient Greek tales, the monsters are always non-human in every sort of sense of the word. There is no relating to them whatsoever. There's no attempt to relate to them. There's no communicating with them. And that tradition is held so that now when we think about modern monsters, so when you think about serial killers or when you think about, you know, bad people. The idea that they would have a redeeming quality about them is very hard to wrap our mind around. But I believe at the same time that, listen, if you lay out every event of a human's life, they're going to look really good at some points. and They're going to look really awful at some points. And there's no getting around that, that that's true for everybody. And yet we tend to give everybody a pass and we do the same thing with our own history. And where I think it gets dangerous, and this is, again, I think to the point you were making just a, a minute ago, John, is that um, it, it is dangerous to believe only one narrative because one narrative cannot possibly capture all the nuance of history of, of a country the size of America. And it, what happens is, is we pick sort of a major narrative that becomes the only story, the only version told throughout the land. And what happens is people's stories get lost. You know, and, and one way we witness that is, is um, through another actually comic property. When HBO did the series Watchmen, um, how many people had never heard of the massacre in Tulsa? Mm -hmm. Like, I had heard of it. I, you know, now granted, I'm like you, I'm a nerd and I read history. And, and especially I'm intrigued by events where like, these wild, you know, Tulsa, there was like an insane, like, like it was almost like a madness. Like it was this uprising and they literally attacked the black citizenry and massacred them. And then it just kind of got swept under the damn rug. 
you know, well, like there was like, also, I mean, there was also actually, you might know this one in North Carolina. I think there was a, an elected um, local government that was actually very segregated, and I think leaned heavily into yeah. um, into black legislators and yeah. white supremacists. Just kind of, and they came in and they they ran them out at gunpoint. They yeah. literally like ran them out. They 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 there was a coup that happened on North Carolina soil. And nobody hears about it. And like, I grew up in North Carolina and I didn't learn that fact until earlier this year because yes. we have, and I, every pun intended, we have whitewashed history, right? And, and so a book like Uncle Sam is, it to my eye or to my feeling, is not attacking or whatever. It is simply scrubbing off the false paint on the face of history and going, let's, let's take a look at the whole thing. Let's, let's take a look at the whole damn picture. Not yeah, just what I think it does very well is it certainly is it certainly is an emotional piece of writing. Oh yeah. Um, I we have it, you know, and this goes back to the to the binary way of looking at life, but we like to demonize people or deify people. Right. And I think when we do that, we rob them of their greatest gift, which is their humanity. Well, again, um, because we make- a hero, yeah, a hero is not a hero because they're all good and they do everything right. Someone is a hero because they screw up and they they um, and they still decide they, to make the hard choice, right? Right. Um, and I think, um, you know, um, yeah, I think fictional comic characters you know, Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, Captain America, because they are um, fictional and because they've been around for 80 years and storialized, serialized storytelling, it's much easier for them to be flawed. We, that's what we want. We want them to, we want to see them be imperfect. We want to see them be less that, you know, we want them to, we want to see them be human, but it's much easier to, um, uh, it, it's much easier to identify with a historical fact when it there's fictionalized characters because if you know if for example there's um you know if there's a book about you know if there's a movie about George Washington you know you have to deal with the fact that he was a slave he had, He's a slave owner. He was a slave owner. He actually had uh, one. So when he, uh, I'm going to get in so much trouble for this. Um, there was actually one of his slaves. Oh. And I want to say her name was Ona Judge. Um, I'll I'll look that up while I'm talking. But um, he actually would move her back down south every six or every like certain weeks so that he didn't have to free her because if she was in a certain part of the country right for over pennsylvania she, right that's what it right. was she'd be um, she'd be freed yeah yeah if she lived in pennsylvania for six months she was there for a resident of the state and she would therefore be set free so washington would send her and all of his slaves back down south and every, you know, just under six months. So that way they could never get their freedom. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's true. It's also true that Washington was a great general and helped create an amazing country that is, and was, um, you know, a country that and was considered for the time to be an exemplary gentleman. Like there is, <laughs> there is a story of the fact that he, uh, he was at a dinner party, at a formal dinner party, and uh, his aide de camp, which I guess was would have been Hamilton, uh, came and and passed a message to him, and he read the message, and he excused himself from the table, and he walked to the to like the other end of the house, and through an amazing tantrum, because it was like news of a loss in the middle of the war that was a bad loss, and he went away, completely lost his shit, recomposed himself came back into dinner, sat down and no one had any idea that, you know, like he was, he was considered to be graceful and elegant and fair minded. And 
the man owned slaves and he did not, in fact, give them up. When he died, he did not free them. He willed them to his wife. So, you know, there are warts on everybody, right? Like that's, you know, like just to use him, like, you know, there are warts on everybody. But yeah. when we look at big historical figures, especially ones that, that did something that we personally admire, then we tend to to downplay those those things because, like you said, it's a binary thing. I never thought of it in those terms, John, but I think that's very true. It's a very binary thing. Fun fun fact with ancient Greek writing, if this is something else I maintain that in if you want to know a if you really want to get a sense of a culture, if you want to know a people, learn their stories. And I don't just mean I don't mean just like the plots. I mean pay attention to how they tell them what comes up for them, etc., And you start to see little windows in. In ancient Greek storytelling, like Iliad, Odyssey, etc., all of the monsters, almost without fail, there's one or two exceptions, but all the monsters are female. And all of them eat men. That's specifically what's said. Now, when you think about where women's status was in ancient Greek culture, it starts to tell you something about the fact that like in the storyteller's frames of mind, if it's a monster, what is the sex of it? That's not an accident right now at the same time, if you say that to somebody while they're telling the story, it is, it feels very aggressive and attacking. You know what I mean? Like, but, but it's not so much a personal indictment as it is. Let's take a look at the resonance of the stories. And so what, for me, Uncle Sam does is it raises the question of what are the stories that we're telling ourselves? Like, because this character, Sam, as you said, John, is the spirit of, it's the spirit of Uncle Sam. It's the spirit of America. And leading into to issue two, the spirit of America is undergoing a, a, a fundamental personality crisis. Not, not a midlife crisis, but like, really the question of who am I gets thrown into sharp relief in the second issue, right? Yeah, well, I think, you know, this, uh, to just touch on one point that you were talking yeah. about, yeah, you're yeah. talking about history has been whitewashed. I mean, history is also, history has not been whitewashed. History has been straight white male whitewashed. <laughs> it's been straight white maleized. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. or I mean, yeah, I mean, how much does anyone know about Baron von Steuben, who, yeah. okay, was a gay man who, who we still use some of his military practices today. Yes, I know who um, von Steuben was. I did not know he was gay, but I did know that von Steuben. I know. Well, I know who he was. Von, von Steuben arrived at Washington's camp with an aide. Um, and then mm -hmm. formally adopted uh, two soldiers who were in their 20s, um, who he met when they were in their 20s, and then I believe adopted them so he could leave them his um, yes. uh, his heirs. Yes. Anyway, uh, uh, whole other yes, plate of potatoes. Yes. But we, we have deliberately, we, not you and I, we, the royal group. <laughs> Just you and I. Just you and I, nobody you know, else. We have left women, people of color, and uh, queer people out of the history of the United uh, States. Out of the history, especially... Out of the history of the world, quite frankly. Yeah, yes, out of the history of the world and many, many, many contributions that, that matter and are active today or contributed by women, people of color. And I, I was about to make a really nasty joke and then I thought better of it. So No, please uh, make the nasty joke because usually it's me. So it's great when somebody else is willing to do it. Well, I was going to say, um, we may have to cut this, but I was going to say, and Kelly, hmm. um, on, you know, on behalf of um, some minority groups, as I am a person of color and a queer yes. person, yes. Um, I just want to say, you straight white men have done a bang up job. Way to go where we are. Thanks so we've, much. We have fucked this up so badly. 
Oh Thanks my so much. God. Why don't you guys sit down? Welcome. Let the rest of us Welcome. take care of it for a little bit. Okay. I, Let's I, see what not, happens. You're not even getting an argument out of me, John. Like that's I don't know that I don't know that you're wrong. I think that I think that and I think this is still important. It today is the twenty first. So yesterday was the inauguration of President Biden and Vice yes. President Harris. Um I think that the events of the past two weeks have hammered that fact home harder than anything else could is that if it was time for, and I'm not even looking to, 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 to box in. If it was, if ever there was a time for the dominant personas of a culture to stand down and let somebody else run the ship for a while, like it couldn't be clearer right now. It just couldn't be. Um, and, and I think one of the things that's interesting is in going back and reading Uncle Sam is it, it came out in 97 and Christ almighty, it, it, you could update it to have more modern references, but like it's, it's exact, the book is way ahead. It was visionary. Like we are struggling with the, the very same things, only far more pronounced now. Yeah. And I think that may have been part of what made me so angry reading the book. Sure. Is that it's like um, it? It would be like being an HR manager and having to have the same conversation with someone every three years about, or every year about their performance, and they have the same exact issues, but you're never able to fire them. Um, and and like, let's be like, clear, that happens. The thing that's sad is that analogy. Like, that's not even. I'm hearing that and I'm like, well, that I can think of places I worked where I saw that happen. <clears throat> right. But my point about this is that I don't think that these things I can, I think, you know, in 10 years and 20 years, you can read this book and you, we're still going to have the same issues because we're never actually going to right. be able to sit down, right. talk about them. Um, and I, I say this, um, you know, I've had conversations with Matthew um, about um, about how being a queer person affects things and how I'm like, you know, you need to maybe take this into account, not because he is mean or homophobic no. or anything like that, quite the opposite. He's, not, he's, no, he's, he's just one of the kindest most wonderful open-minded people. But it's one of those things where it's like, I need you to understand when you do this, what this actually, where this actually comes from. I need you to understand what this actually means. Um, and because those conversations are awkward and uncomfortable and nobody really ever wants to call somebody out for something, you know, when you know some, but, <sighs> Here's the thing, we, we tend to, when someone says systemic racism or when someone says that's racist, we tend to think there needs to be the N-word involved or there needs to be an overt act of, of um, bias or hatred or violence. It's like, that's not really what that means. You know, what that means is that when you say this, you know, because you don't want to call someone out and say, because you don't want to say to someone, you're racist or that's racist, because that immediately makes them defensive. When I say you don't want to, I mean, I don't want to. I'm not saying you, anybody other than me. Um, but, you know, I don't like, there are certain things that I, that friends of mine do, and I don't want to say to them, I just want you to know that's really homophobic because I know they're not homophobic, but I also know that what, that they don't realize what they're doing is homophobic. And it's- um, What is, can you, uh, I, I am asking, I'm asking for clarity's sake, and I'm not trying to embarrass you or put anybody on any spot or anything, but what is an example of something that someone does that they're not homophobic, but what the action is, is grounded in homophobia? So I understand the frame of reference, John. Sure. So I, so yes, I'm going to give you an example with someone that I no longer work with. Oh, okay. 
Great. So I used to share an office with a guy, very nice guy, grew up in, I don't know, grew up somewhere in the South, really sweet. Um, he used to come in and, you know, he would ask me, you know, he would ask me, you know, are you seeing anybody? How's your boyfriend? What's going on? Super open, you know, his mom, you know, he was raised, his mom was very good friends with, uh, I think a gay couple. And so he was raised, but he would come in and he would uh, be like, oh, I stopped at Chick-fil-A this morning and got you an ex- and got an extra sandwich for you. You want it? And I was like, no, no, I don't want it. And here's the thing. This is America. Eat where you want. Do what you want to do. Go where you want to go. Where you did, go. Does he Absolutely. know? Did he but, know? Hold on. But if I ever bought food from a restaurant owner who called women the C word, people would be up in my, as well they should, people would be up in my business. But because that business is donating money to charities that are anti-LGBTQ, it's like, well, that's okay because the food's really good and it's not my money. Well, where do you think the money is coming from? The money is coming from you. And again, this is America. Go where you want to eat, do what you want to do. But you need to understand, not you, the royal you. No, I understand. I'm with you. I'm with you. If you're going to do that, that's fine. But do not call me out on something that you don't like and tell me that I'm being sexist or I'm being racist. I would never be comfortable giving money to a charity that said no Jews, no Blacks, no women. Nor would you be comfortable giving, not you, but the royal you, but, you know, someone else would never be comfortable giving money to a charity that said no Blacks, no Jews, no women. And yet you're comfortable giving money giving to a money charity to that says, says no, no LGBTQ. Yeah. That's fine. And, that's your business. Um, but, you know, I, I'm like, you're comfortable if I point out that you're giving money to a homophobic organization. That's fine. That's your choice. But I want you to understand that choice. It's it's and, more of when you, people don't understand that choice. We're probably going to have to cut that entire segment out. No, I don't. I don't think. Kinda, I don't think we'll need to because, again, some of that, John, and and again, this goes to, for me, this relates to Uncle Sam. Some of that is, first of all, I totally get where you're coming from. Thank you for clarifying that. That was I would that that granted the clarity I was seeking. So thank you. Um, of course, in that instance, my first question is, did he, does he know about Chick-fil-A's donation policies? Yes, Um, of course. Okay. And well, not everybody does. And the reason I say this is because growing up in the South, I I knew because I told him. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well then, then at that point, if he's a true Southerner, then he should have known better and he should have apologized, but we'll set aside the coulda, shoulda, what have the, the point is, is that without the knowledge of it, of course, you have no way of knowing. Now, once you've told them that, right, once that knowledge has been shared, then if they're using the logic, and it sounds like they did based off what you said of, well, it's not my money and the food's really good. That's, that is bullshit because it's now not standing in solidarity. And, and one of the things that I think is interesting, and, and I went to the trouble of doing with Uncle Sam, is I looked up information that gets listed in it because... I, because I was curious and want to know. And the thing is, is that once you know a thing, you, you don't get to just unknow it, right? So right. you become you become responsible for that information. And so while it doesn't mean you're responsible, I'm not responsible for the behavior of my ancestors, but I am accountable to it because they're my ancestors, right? That's, mm-hmm. At least that's the way I think about it, is that I can't, I can't take direct responsibility for it, but I can certainly acknowledge and own it. And therefore that means I get to be sensitive, not about it, but to concerns surrounding it. Right. Um, and that requires a willingness to, ch- to look at an exterior uh, narrative, which is where I think books like uncle Sam become important because they are talking about Cause to be fair, Darnell pulls, some fairly like some very well-known things, but some fairly obscure things out of American history that I didn't know that like you learn and you're like, Oh my God, this is, I can't believe that this happened. Um, 
even the quotes that he is saying, because about half of Uncle Sam's dialogue uh, are just quotes by past, mostly past presidents, not exclusively, but mostly past presidents. Mm -hmm. And some of the stuff our past presidents have said, and uh, granted, to be fair, they are completely out of context, but even allowing for the out of contextness of it, there's still very startling things. Like um, there's one that George Bush Sr. said that I, um, I will never apologize for America. Um, and that was over, I, I looked it up, that was over like uh, a controversy with Iran. Um, mm -hmm. And what is, I'm looking actually, I'm looking in the book for the direct quote. Oh, no, I will never apologize for the United States. I don't care what the facts are, which is in fact what he said, right? Mm -hmm. And well, I, so actually I want to, because we're, we're almost at, at an hour and I want to. Um, yes, of course. Sorry. Yes, yes, yes. No, that's okay. Um, I'm sure we'll find stuff to cut my crazy political rambling. No, we're keeping um, all that. In fact, we're going to just I, put that before the intro. But I would like to ask, so I have very specific reasons as to why I recommend particular books to particular people. Is there a reason that you wanted to recommend this one to me? It was because it was you. Was it because you knew I was going to get furious? It, it's it actually it's twofold. Um, number one, because because honestly, you had not read it, and it is one of my favorite books. I know it's a challenging book, but I people I genuinely like. I, I'm like, well, if you if nothing else, if you want to get a sense of of what my thinking or what's helped form my thinking better, read this book. You will have a, an insight. But also, you know, John, you are smart. You are, um, you have very clear, uh, unambiguous uh, feelings about issues. Uh, I, I could not have said that more vague. You're, you're very, you're very clear about how you feel about things is what I'm trying to say. You're not, you don't, you don't sit quiet. And so, I wanted to see, I, I had a gut feeling that this book would, would hit you in the right way. I thought it would probably piss you off or it would upset you, but I didn't, not in the kind of like, well, this will get under John's skin. Like this will, this will bug him so much. as like, well, this will get him fired up. Right. Like, and, and, and I was very curious to hear like what your thoughts about it were and how it struck you. And, and cause I feel like because for all the stuff we've said, and this is late in the game, so most of everybody's tuned out between between the two of us. They don't care anymore. But for the for the person left that's listening, hey mom, um, the the thing I want to say is that the it ends on a strangely hopeful note. Like it 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 shows us American history in all its warts. And Sam, the spirit of of uh, to talk very quickly about the second book because I know time is limited. In the second book, Sam, in in searching for a sense of identity or who Sam is, Sam encounters the new spirit of America, the new Uncle Sam, who is very capitalist in nature. Um, mm -hmm. And it's dated in the sense of he's sitting on a throne of television screens, which, which you know, you trade out for cell phones and 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 would work, you know, better. Um, and he struggle; they struggle; they fight over what will be the soul of America, basically, and. Mm -hmm. And it ends, and ultimate spoilers, and Josh, really, you should put like a big siren on this because this is the ultimate in spoilers. It ends with Sam back on the street, homeless, and the only thing that has changed is he got his hat back from the false narrative, the, the false, I'm air quoting, narrative of America. And he is delighted to have his hat back, and it, le it, it leaves on this very oddly upbeat note. Um... But I don't know that I, I don't like. I think part of me feels like they had to end it on an upbeat note because it's it was a comic, rather than like there's a real sense of redemption. So I wanted to get your sense on the overall arc. Like I know you were really fired up about the first issue. With the second issue and with what happens, are you still fired up and angry? Do you feel like it ends on a on a hopeful note, or do you think that's false hope? I don't think it's false hope. Um, I would say. Um, I would say um, the, if the first issue is about the, the facts of what happened in our country compared to the aspirations of our forefathers, 
I think it ends on the idea of we can reach these aspirations, but we can't be blind to everything that's come before. Um, so uh, I, I don't think it's a false hope, um, but again, this is January of 2021. So just, you know, I, I think there's a certain well, amount there, of cynicism there's... in the air. But there's also uh, a, a very strong sense of hope in the air. Um, my new sense. I mean, cynic. <laughs> yeah, but the inauguration, you know what? The inauguration went off without a hitch. And I got to be honest, I wasn't convinced that that was going to be the case. Yeah. So, um, all right. So I know we have to wrap this up. Josh is giving us the signal. Um, I do want to say, usually the question that I kind of end with is. How would I do? It, How'd I do? Um, uh, so um, I want to say um, I, I want to say I enjoyed it. I liked it. I'm not sure that it's something that I would recommend on a large scale. Like I wouldn't recommend this to everyone that I've ever met. I this would be one it's, of those things that I would yeah. give to somebody who. Um, maybe says, um, how do I, like, oh, I've only read novels or I've only read nonfiction, but, you know, I understand that these graphic novels are a thing these days. <laughs> so I'd be like, okay, I think I have something for you. Um, it would also, quite frankly, be something that I would um, highly recommend to, um, to teachers and educators. Um, who maybe want something um, a little bit different or, you know, like an extra credit thing or something that their kids could read, you know, history teachers yeah. Um, yeah. or, I agree. or uh, you know, sociology teachers, something that, that um, their students could read over break. Um, so that would be, that would be something that I would recommend if there's any teachers who are, who are listening. Um, it, it, it's, it is easy. You could plan. Like if you're talking like high school or even college, you could plan easily a week's worth of lessons around this graphic novel. And it's not a thick graphic novel by any, any uh, stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like I, I think, I think it, I actually wanted to teach it in a high school class and uh, it was an elective and it didn't, it didn't make. So I didn't end up teaching it, but I was really looking forward to it. Um so, yeah, uh, I also think it, it skews toward, um, I, I think it skews toward a younger audience, uh, John. I think that, like, in my head, when you say, like, teachers, like, I think high school, college age, college age folk are, are particularly sort of the market for this. And then if it's an older audience member, it needs to either be somebody that is interested in um, basically uh, supplementary historical information, i.e. like the version of history you don't get taught. Somebody that would read Howard Zinn would read this. Somebody yeah. that would read or there, there's that other would read very this. famous yeah. book, Lies My Teacher Told Me. Yes, yes, which I, um, I have a copy of, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, so yes, I would definitely recommend it. Um, if you go to your local comic shop um, or um, your local bookstore, uh, I believe this is still in print. I didn't do research on that. It is still it in is. print. Okay. It is. So yes. So your local comic shop should be able to get this for you. Um, you may also want to pair it with Frank Miller's Martha Washington. Which um, is another great series. Weird, but a great series, man. Which we will talk about at another time. Martha Washington. Not so sure I'd recommend that for students. So I, just, I would not. <laughs> yeah. So let's just. Let's just say for those who are reading just for funsies on their own, yeah, for Uncle Sam with Martha with Washington, Martha, but but I wouldn't for educators, put that in the classroom. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, no. stick with the Uncle Sam. So it's Uncle Sam, Steve Darnell, and Alex Ross um, from uh, DC Comics Vertigo. Yep. Um, yes, uh, Kelly, I do think you made a really solid recommendation. Um, Good, I'm glad. Again, John. Not something I would read for funsies. Um, I just thought that you would get, I, again, the other thing I want to say is your writing as a, as an author, as a, um, 
uh, for the podcast. I, I want to say playwright, but I'm honestly not sure what the term is in this medium. Do you? Screenwriter? Because that feels wrong, too. A I don't know. Writer. What's that? A pod writer. I'm never Episode saying that. Writer? No, I'm saying, no. As a matter of fact, I'm going to put out my eardrums because I heard you say it. No, oh. pod writer. What You're the welcome. hell? Yeah. Um, no, uh, thank you, Josh. Um, no, but your writing, John, your writing is, I mean this, the dialogue you write is better than the dialogue in Uncle Sam. And part of the, the thing is the function of Uncle Sam is it's laying a lot of exposition out. So it's not going to be snappy dialogue, but the, the way it frames its history, Uncle Sam, the way it's looking at historical events um, and the impact it was having on people other than people that were the primary part of the narrative is very similar in my head to the stories that you have crafted for April is the Coolest Month, um, oh, well, where, you. where you are looking at historical events, but you're not looking at the primary players. You are looking at the periphery and, and, and representing people that are not typically represented in historical stories. And that's, that is the other reason why I honestly thought that this might speak to you because I feel like there's a, a kinship of spirit in the style of storytelling, if that makes any sense. Yes. It's not a, yeah. Yeah. I, well, first of all, thank you for that. I'll, I'll send you that $20 um, in the mail. Tomorrow. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I very much appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I, well, I'll tell you what, when we get to the next comics corner where I'm going to recommend a book that links to what you just said, I will tie this back in. I love it. I'll bring I it around full love circle. It. I love that. Yay. Um, so you'll understand why I do that. But anyway. All right. Okay. Um, right. So yes. So, uh, Thank you for recommending this book. Uh, as we said, if you want to pick it up, please go to your local comic shop. Um, just go ahead and Google. Um, I know um, I know that your local comic shop will appreciate that more than you realize. Um, especially you know, now. Especially, especially now. now. Yeah. Yes. Please support your local businesses. Um, and thank you for joining us. Um, next time on Comics Corner... Uh, I think we'll have another special guest, but I don't want to tease that yet. Do you know what you're going to be reading? Well, I have two up my sleeve, um, and I don't want to spoil either one of them. But I will say they are ones that I am very much looking forward to. Um, So thank you for joining us here on Comics Corner. Um, We don't have a tagline yet for April is the Coolest Month, so I'm just going to say stay tuned. Um, we will be launching soon. You will have a lot more info. And uh, in the meantime, stay safe and stay healthy. And please read some great comics. Bye.